This is Archive Atlanta, episode 203, Fallout Shelters. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. So this week we're talking about fallout shelters, which I know, probably the most random sounding topic you've ever heard. But what you may not realize is that many of us live, work, and or play in buildings that were dedicated fallout shelters during the Cold War. Shout out to my good friend Emmett for spurring this research. So I think he found a map, which totally tracks if you know him. Um, He found a map of someone who did Metro Atlanta fallout shelter signs. This led me to a research rabbit hole of Atlanta in the Cold War and how we approach the fallout shelter craze. Before we get started, let's cover some basic history. The Cold War is defined as a period of tension between the United States and the Soviet Union that lasted from 1947 to 1991. That did not involve actual fighting. Instead, it was psychological warfare, propaganda campaigns, espionage, embargoes, sports rivalries, and even the space race. These two superpowers had aligned in World War II, with the U.S. dropping an atomic bomb on both Hiroshima and Nagasaki in August of 1945, but post-World War II, their relationship changed a lot. And so when the Soviet Union conducted its first nuclear test in 1949, that meant that the U.S. was no longer the only nation with those kinds of weapons. In 1952, the U.S. tested their first thermonuclear device, and then a year later, the Soviets tested their thermonuclear bomb. So needless to say, people were really anxious, and the threat of nuclear war loomed over all Americans, in the largest cities and the smallest towns. Nucleomitophobia was defined as the fear of the atom, and it was coined by a Chicago psychiatrist to describe the mental state of so many Americans, especially in the 1950s and 60s. President Truman faced immense pressure from local governments to provide direction on how to protect their citizens. So in 1950, Congress passed the Federal Civil Defense Act, and in 1951, the Federal Civil Defense Administration was created to administer the National Civil Defense Program, basically convince Americans that if a bomb did drop, they could survive the fallout. They did this with education campaigns, drills, and at first, plans for mass evacuation. Trying to evacuate major U.S. cities was really complicated. Most plans relied on people driving, so what about people without cars? It's also the decade of Jim Crow laws, so how do you evacuate and segregate? None of these things were really answered by the federal government. And so what? The, and so the program's director, his name was Millard Caldwell, introduced the fallout shelter plan. And now would be a great time to explain the difference between bomb shelters and fallout shelters, because before this episode, I definitely use them interchangeably, and that's not correct. Bomb shelters are designed to protect you from a traditional explosion for a short period of time. They are typically above ground. A fallout shelter is designed to protect you from radioactive fallout, and therefore it has clean water, food, and drink, all supplies, that would last until radiation drops to an acceptable level. The first shelters in the plan were built for high-ranking government officials, places like Project Greek Island and the Cheyenne Mountain Bunker. For the general public, plans were to use existing buildings with really sturdy, below-ground-level basements as makeshift fallout shelters. The Metropolitan Atlanta Civil Defense Agency was created in 1950, and it was led first by George Phillips until he died in 1953, and then a man named Elliot Jackson took over. The organization was thinking about shelters as early as 1951, and they were working with Georgia Tech architecture professor I.E. Saporta to design what was called a poor man shelter. 
essentially something that could be purchased by the majority of Americans and then assembled really easily. Saporta had designed 50 bomb shelters in his native Greece during World War II, and so his first prototype was used at a house on Claremont Avenue. In 1952, the Alert America exhibit made its way to the Municipal Auditorium downtown. This was a traveling show that demonstrated atomic warfare to regular Americans, and Phillips told Atlantans that, listen, if an atom bomb is dropped on the city today, 200,000 people are dying and the city is going to be destroyed by fire. Essentially, we're not ready. At the time, only the city of Hapeville was braced for a blast with a plan to convert three elementary schools into hospitals, and they had chests of supplies stored around the city. By 1955, Atlanta was really considered a critical target. They actually banned Russians from traveling here, and then the city finally got on board and they created a civil defense committee. I don't want to go into too much in the weeds here, but long story short, the Atlanta Civil Defense Agency was never funded or even taken seriously by local and or state governments. And this is not isolated issue to Georgia. Uh, in 1957, the Eisenhower administration rejected a $22 billion plan to build civilian shelters that were recommended by something called the Gaither Report. In 1959, Georgia's civil defense plan switched from evacuation to fallout shelter. Basically, if a bomb was dropped on Lockheed Martin, Atlanta could only be evacuated with three to four hours notice, which might not be probable. And so Georgia also was compiled of 402 separate civil defense organizations representing, you know, little small towns and cities across the state. In an effort to kind of unify everything, again, the state government decided that prototype shelters were going to be planned for three Georgia cities. There was going to be a mass shelter in Atlanta, a family shelter in Thomasville, and another location to be determined. Up until 1957, both mass evacuation and fallout shelters were still presented as kind of similar options by the federal government. Eisenhower thought that community shelters were communistic and individual shelters were more quote-unquote American style. But in that year, he instituted the National Shelter Policy, which kind of took the financial burden off the government and put it onto the individual American. In July of 1960, the first Metro Atlanta family fallout shelter was dedicated in Sumner Park in East Point by the East Point Civil Defense Committee. Today, this house is still standing off Neely Road, and this was famous at the time because it was the first government-sponsored fallout shelter in the southeast, and it was one of two built with federal funds. It cost $2,000 to build, it measured 8 feet by 8 feet, and it could fit a family of six. And capitalism is gonna capitalism. So the Georgia chapter of the American Institute of Decorators began to display kind of your model family fallout shelter in the windows of Rich's department store. There was also a company called the Wonder Building Corp out of Chicago, and they introduced a shelter kit where homeowners could put it together with one man and one teenage boy with a set of regular tools in eight hours. So while a couple of people were getting shelters, everything really changed in 1961. That year, President John F. Kennedy spoke publicly about the importance of fallout shelters, and Life magazine published a letter from the president advising of the use of fallout shelters. We see a huge boom in shelter construction and designations in the following two-year period. I think there was like 5,000 kits ordered just after his speech. Back in 1955, shelters were required to have what was called a protection factor of 5,000, but by 1961, that requirement had gone down to 400, and then after the Cuban Missile Crisis, which I'll talk about in a second, it went down to 40. 
By November of 1961, Georgia Governor Vandeveer's advisory board recommended a state fallout shelter plan. So the Metro Atlanta Civil Defense Director Jackson urges all state officials to beef up their civil defense programs, and he asked Metro Atlanta to have a shelter survey. And this is a quote from him. He says, an inadequate fallout shelter is like an inadequate parachute. It can kill you. The city stepped up its game. It held Civil Defense Day at Ponce de Leon Park during an Atlanta Crackers game so that Atlantans that were watching some baseball could learn about fallout shelters and just kind of have like handouts ready. A community fallout shelter partially funded with $10,000 from the government was being built at Lenox Mall with room for 50 people and an entrance at the lower level near Davison's. White Columns, which was the home of WSB, became the first building in the city to designate and stock a fallout shelter for its employees. And if you didn't know, a community shelter is defined as just what it sounds, a place where a larger group of people, sometimes up to 50, could shelter together in case of a nuclear event. And these were often in office building, basements, you know, schools, malls, things like that. So the goal of the Metro Atlanta survey was to locate, mark, and stock as many fallout shelter spaces as possible. The federal government was promising to provide the actual shelter supplies, but local governments were in charge of delivering and placing the supplies in the shelters. And most of us know that famous placard that was used to mark these shelters. It's the orangey-yellow with the black trefoil sign. Fun side history. This was designed by a man named Robert Blakely, um, with the specifications that the sign must be made from metal and easy to find in the dark. And the image itself was created by a graphic design firm called Blair Inc. We cannot talk about atomic panic and fallout shelters without discussing the public discourse. Papers at the time were full of editorials, letters to the editor, exploring both sides of this debate. As one anti-fallout shelter writer said, quote, the whole thing was an inane byproduct of nuclear age hysteria, end quote. Those that were against it believe that there's just nothing you could do. Like if they're going to drop a nuclear bomb, pretending that this measly little fallout shelter was going to save you was delusional. The middle ground people wrote in saying, hey, you know, right or wrong, it makes the most sense for me to do what I can reasonably do to protect my family, so I'm going to build one. There was a very public debate between different Christian churches, one side believing they were not in the business of civil defense, the other believing it was their religious duty to protect their congregation. And there's also a huge racial and class component to this story. I mean, several research papers I found just about that topic. In the late 50s and early 1960s, most city centers were populated by black and people of color. And these very clunky and eventually abandoned evacuation plans ignored that people that lived in apartments maybe didn't have cars. Or, you know, how do we get them into segregated spaces in the case of a nuclear attack? And so they just kind of focused their attention on single-family white homeowners that could afford backyard fallout shelters. The NAACP was actually really against the director Caldwell. This is back in the 50s, who I mentioned earlier, and they encouraged Black Americans not to participate in civil defense training or drills. Even if you look at median income or home ownership statistics of the 50s and 60s, very few Black American families are even able to buy a single family home or a fallout shelter. So there's just like a cost prohibitation issue. And then 
not to get too much into the weeds, when you look at what, where the news was in Atlanta and even where some of the remaining shelters are, if it is not a government building or a large municipal building, when we're talking about home fallout shelters, they are all in East Point, um, Hapeville, like I said, places that in the 50s or 60s were the epitome of white middle-class Atlanta. By 1961, the first Atlanta building with a specifically planned fallout shelter was being built on Cheshire Bridge Road, designed by Herbert Rawlings. It was the first community shelter in that area. By 1962, Governor Vandeveer promised to survey the shelters, and he kind of defended the program. And the U.S. Corps of Engineers said that there were 815,000 shelter spaces in the state of Georgia, um, made up of about 3,500 buildings. But Atlanta's only marked shelter was City Hall. They had a really hard time getting building owners to sign the federal fallout shelter license because it didn't really offer them a lot of protections. So most landlords are like, why would I want 50 strangers, you know, living in my basement for two or three weeks if a bomb drops? Georgia Tech was offering short courses for architects and engineers to design and construct um, fallout shelters. And there's actually a story of a homeowner on Canolia Drive, I think it is, made the news. He thought he was really smart. He bought a Navy surplus store boxcar for $450. Then he dug a gigantic hole in his backyard, but he couldn't figure out how to get the box in the hole. So I don't know if that ever happened, um, but the newspaper was very intrigued. In January of 1962, they were having simulated nuclear blast demonstrations at Lenox Mall. And by October, the team of Army engineers began marking fallout shelters in multi-story Atlanta buildings. And this was in the Atlanta Merchandise Mart, the Fulton County Courthouse, Grady Hospital, and City Hall. So by the following month, there were 87 public fallout shelters in Atlanta, which would hold 102,760 people. One important thing that happened in mid-October was the Cuban Missile Crisis. And I am being very brief here, but this 35-day confrontation between the U.S. and the Soviet Union escalated to missile deployments by the U.S. and Italy and Turkey and by the Soviets in Cuba. And so for all of those anxious Americans living with the nucleomidophobia, it was like, this is it, right? The time has come. Now, of course, we know now that the Cuban Missile Crisis did not end up in actual warfare, But immediately after this happened, President Kennedy asked Congress to appropriate $2 million for a five-year public fallout shelter plan. By November of 1962, so right after the Cuban Missile Crisis, public fallout shelters were available in 122 buildings in Atlanta. They included the Fulton County Jail, the Biltmore Hotel, Fox Theater, Claremont Hotel, Crawford Long Hospital, the Medical Arts Building, the Candler Building, Carnegie Library, Rich's Department Store, uh, City Hall, the Capitol Building, Booker T. Washington High School, Roosevelt High School, and the Candler Warehouse, just to name a few. In January of 1963, Atlanta's first public, fully stocked fallout shelter opened at Sylvan Hills High School, located in the school's indoor rifle range. 61 people could fit in here for two weeks, and they had three more shelters opening that week that were on Peachtree Street and West Peachtree. While the public obsession with fallout shelters did not last too long after the Cuban Missile Crisis, federal and local governments did continue their civil defense training and preparations. The new Howard Johnson that opened in 1963 in South Atlanta was advertised to have a fallout shelter, 
1965, Atlanta Civil Defense Organization was seeking volunteers to man about 159 shelters, which was half of the total that they had, um, that didn't have like dedicated volunteers. By 1967, Atlanta had 700 of our 800 major public buildings at the time licensed as shelters with supplies to support 600,000 people for two weeks. At the time, Atlanta ranked only second to Washington, D.C. in the number of public shelters. The community shelter program gradually faded away through the 1970s and very early 1980s. The U.S. ended federal funding for the shelters in the 1970s. I think it was 2017, New York City began removing the yellow signs purposely, um, and many cities have done the same. So if you look hard enough, you can still find fallout shelter signs in buildings across Atlanta. I have seen a couple. Emmett and I are still going to play in this bike ride to find some more. Um, The personal fallout shelters in homes are a little harder to figure out. So many families, you know, in the 70s and 80s and 90s had them removed. And then I think some of them, maybe there's not even knowledge that they were ever put there because it's been so many decades that have passed. If you have a fallout shelter at your house, definitely, definitely send me a message or send me an email. My contact information is always in the show notes. So there you have it. The story of Atlanta's fallout shelters during the Cold War. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember to leave a rating and a review. You can visit the Patreon link in the show notes to support the podcast. Hope everyone has a great weekend, and I'll see you next week.